Welcome to the latest edition of the Carmichael Governance Podcast. I'm Dermot O'Carbui, CEO of Carmichael. Carmichael is a charity that provides supports to other Irish charities, particularly in the area of governance. You can find details of what we do and a wide range of free resources on our website at carmichaelireland.ie. You can also find previous editions of our governance podcasts on our website or on your favourite podcast platform, be that SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Acast. And my guest today is Liam Scollin. You're very welcome, Liam. Thank you very much, Jeremy. I'd like to get some background to the journey that you've been taking to date. You know, so we, we've all taken very interesting journeys and sort of circuitous routes at times. So it'd be just interesting, given if you could give me some highlights of some of your journey to date as you've progressed. Yeah, well, I suppose, uh, thank you. And, and I suppose, to put it in perspective, I suppose all my life there's been one heading, and it's really community development or getting the best out of people and communities. I suppose that's the one heading. But it's been a very road, as you, as you hint there. My mother used to say to me, God bless her when she was alive, she used to say, will you ever get a proper job? Um, so only a few times in my career did I get a proper job, um, inverted commas, and she said that lovingly. But I suppose I started working community development in North Leitrim, in a rural area, um, way back. And, and that gave me a thirst for it. Uh, although I went on, studied in various things I kept with community development, ended up in the mining communities of Nottinghamshire in the East Midlands of England, working with the, the, you know, communities where the mines had closed and people had lost their jobs. Learned a great sense of the uh, community spirit, actually, from those sorts of communities, as well as, of course, from my own rural areas. Then I came back to Ireland to work in, in regional development, heading up the Western Development Commission. And that was a, an amazing experience of communities right up and down the West Coast. Uh, and really, uh, at, at, it was just a terrific experience. But listening to how communities were advocating for themselves and trying to help them to change government policy for the better to support communities. And then I suppose I joined Ireland West Airport, which actually is not widely known, but it's actually a social enterprise. It's actually owned by a trust. And I worked there as CEO, chairperson for, in the latter end, for about 11 years. Tremendous experience of working with the ethos of an organisation that is out there to sort of do something for a whole region, to do something that's going to change people's lives. We used to say about the airport, it's not a place, it's a state of mind. And that state of mind was, we can do it, we can do it. And we used to remind ourselves of that. And then after I left that, I went back into the role of, of supporting communities and, and delighted to sort of, a lot of that, partnering with Carmichael, uh, which I find just great because it's like a long-established organisation doing community development, working with the voluntary sector. And it's great to be working with colleagues and picking brains and things like that uh, because it can be a lonely road. Uh, and so therefore now I find myself back doing lots of community development support, social enterprise support, and I love it. I was smiling when you were talking about the mothers. I think mothers are, uh, are universal. My mother never really forgave me when I left the secure job in the civil service back in the 80s, but um, I think they liked to make with her that their children are, are secure and set. You, you mentioned um, your work with Carmichael and, in, and more recently, when, and um, we've been keeping you very, very busy, Liam, which is great, and I think that's in context of the need that's out there for organisations, groups, communities, as they struggle with on so many fronts trying to trying to make the, put the best foot forward to try and do the best for their communities. 
One of the very popular workshops that you've been involved in is the Ready and Able to Reopen one. Um, you might tell us a bit about what's involved there and the types of issues that you're helping groups to, to tackle and, and to move forward on. Yeah, well, Ready and Able is essentially a training module that really helps community groups, uh, voluntary groups, to reopen during or after COVID. Uh, and I think the genesis of it is very interesting because actually when COVID started in Ireland in about March 2020, I was actually doing nothing for that few weeks of the initial shock. Uh, everything closed down, looking out the window and thinking of the communities that actually now that I was dealing with just few weeks previously wondering what on earth are they doing what's what's happening and I contacted uh, a set of communities uh, at that time it was in County Leitrim and we did something voluntary just to sort of get the communities together online uh, and, and just to sort of share the shock of it more than anything else and out of that grew a concept of we could run something practical and then we developed it with yourselves in Carmichael um, and essentially it's it's become very popular. It, I think it's almost been in every county at this stage, and it's turning over and running again. What's involved in it exactly? Um, I suppose the first part of it really is where people get together in a room online, mainly, and uh, has been. And the first part is asking that question, how are you? You know, almost like we've been distanced from each other in so many ways. How is it going for you? And then really, how is it going for your community? How is it going for the people around you? And we start off the, 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 the training session, for want of a better word, because sometimes not even training is not the right word for it, but with, with that conversation. And I suppose it's then laying out the steps for communities who want to return after COVID. And it starts with that people question. And because it's important, because the first step, I always say to community groups, if you're a community centre and you're going to reopen in this autumn or winter, you need your entire board to be active. And I would joke and say, you know, very often our boards are made up of two people, Mary and John, they're very busy, they do all the work. The other eight are lovely people, but they do not a lot. And I said, this is not a time for that community group to reopen. So in a sense, the first step is getting your board to be active or your group of volunteers, whatever. And that first step of looking, are we going to take a lead here? Who's leading? Are we prepared to step forward? Because this is risky now. This is full of risks in, in terms of reopening for all sorts of reasons, whether it's reopening a community centre, reopening a care centre, reopening sports activities. It all carries risks. And the next step is talking about those risks. How do you judge risk? How do you set out risk in a COVID way? And once we're clear on that, we then look at the sort of steps that people take, the physical steps, the uh, human resource management steps, responding to an emergency case of COVID, all of those. And I suppose what's different about the Ready and Able workshops is that it puts all of the steps together in one manual that people can see. I mean, I've come from a social enterprise management background myself, and I see the challenge of, on the one hand, you have to do the business, ser you know, serve your customers, serve your users. And at the same time, all of this regulation is coming along, all of this, and you, don't want to, you know the information is out there, and there is terrific information out there, really good. 
But the manual that we've worked with on Carmichael puts all this together in one place. They can literally go from A to a Z, go from a point of view of a point in the important people, judging the risk, laying down the sort of sometimes 40, 50 actions they have to take to sort of uh, respond to that, and uh, then put them all in one place and have the right policies in place and then review that. So that's broadly speaking. And I suppose it really shot off when we did the first one with Carmichael and Donegal Volunteer Centre. i never forget it. Maybe it was way back last April, May, 12 months. I, I don't know the exact date. 90 people turned up online. And it was like a coming together of voluntary organisations after a war, you know. And they're, they're right. And there was so much time spent just you know, getting a sense of where we were all at and then leading into this programme. And, and then Kerry followed and then Galway. And we learned a lot in those early things. We learned as much as we were trying to teach because of people's experiences during COVID and how to tailor how we do this. And we called it Ready Enable. And I credit Kerry Volunteer Centre for actually giving it the name Ready Enable. I did, we didn't think of it. I didn't think of it. We were calling it something reopening after COVID. And it became this Ready Enable, which is now almost gone everywhere. Geraldine down in, down in Kerry Volunteer is very much that ready enabled sort of person in, in so many fronts as well you know so it was, it was great i i remember that and and you, you sort of we tend to forget the initial what are we going to do um when when COVID hit and we were we were closing down activities because we were we had to and then the sense that this would be relatively short you know when we were running the ready enable program we said well this will finish by the autumn we'll be all back to normal um then and we're we're now hopefully this stage coming through uh, where, where, where we, we finally are coming out of that tunnel and there's a bit more certainty that, that things will get, will get back to normal. And things have actually morphed and changed between 2020 and 21. Like in 2020, I never forget a situation in, I think it was, forget the county, but this particular man came on, he was on the course and he was saying, what am I going to do? We have, we're a voluntary organisation that supports the, you know, children who have special difficulties and need support. And I have parents ringing me. I have a parent ringing me. He's desperate. He's desperate. He has, you know, this child is at home. Normally this child is out getting care, riding horses, perhaps, things like that. Now he can't. What are we going to do? And sometimes there wasn't an answer. It was just a question of the room listening to the question and coming up with as best as we could in terms of what, what maybe could be, could be done there. 2021 is now different, I feel. The challenges that communities are facing that we cover in Ready and Able is about like these difficult decisions for which there is no regulation in place. So, for instance, what do you do if you're providing care and someone turns up to work or volunteering who's not vaccinated or somebody doesn't want to come back into work they want to work from home you know so what we've done with ready enable is brought it on to a stage of how do you deal with these complex decisions um, and, and we've developed policies that we can give people now to sort of say here work with this policy it'll help you get this uh, thing and one of the things we say is have this have these difficult conversations to begin with put a questionnaire around and say you know, what's your sense of vaccination? What's your sense of working from home? What's your sense of that? Without saying you must or you shouldn't or you will or you won't. And that opens up the conversation. So, yeah, we've, we've, it, Ready Enable has morphed 
as as the COVID itself has morphed over the time. Yes, and as we learn and adapt and show how resilient we are, and that, I think that that's one of the things that the communities and the voluntary sector have showed how adaptable and resilient they have been under a whole series of challenges. I'm interested from your own, your own perspective, because it's now going on a 20 months or whatever way you, you when you start and when you finish. For your own, your own self, what, what was the biggest challenge for you in terms of during this period, in terms of you had to, you had to sort of tease out for yourself? Yeah, the, the biggest challenge was a very personal one. Um, we have three daughters. Uh, one lives, was living in Tanzania. One was living in New Zealand and one in Cork. Um, part of it was funny because in Tanzania, the government didn't believe in COVID. Uh, it didn't believe it existed. So, of course, our daughter was, 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 was challenged by that. And it was very difficult watching that and seeing, my goodness, look at the danger she's in. And in New Zealand, of course, they were first out of the blocks. They closed the country straight away and still haven't opened it. So two very contrasting situations. But you're watching this. And then our eldest daughter, who was in New Zealand, had a baby during COVID. And, of course, we're grandparents. We haven't seen the baby. We won't see this baby for two years, you know, for two years since it was born because of the way the restrictions are. And that's very hard. You know, that's very hard. And I know there's online and there's Zooms and there's the, everything like that, but it's not the same as holding a baby in your hands and, 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 and that. So that would by way and far be the... And watching our daughters also not being able to be in touch with each other in this amazing experience of having a baby, you know. It is, and we, we tend to lose sight of that. I, this weekend I, I, um, I was down in Tipperary, down in Nina, staying um, to visit my parents' graves, and all my siblings, all, all, all seven of us, managed to be there, which was the first time for over two years that we saw each other. And those sort of stories were coming out from, you know, grandparents not having seen their, 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 their grandchildren had been born during this. It is difficult. Mm-hmm. And there was a wedding on in the hotel, and, uh, and we could see they had up on the thing that this was the fourth go at organising it. They had listed dates, they had organised it, and they would cancelled three times, and they were having it, having it there last Saturday. And it was that part of... There's been an awful lot of disruption, there's been an awful lot of loss, uh, you know, for those that have lost loved ones over, over yeah. the period, and in difficult times as well, and the uncertainty it brought. So we're coming through dark times, and for a lot of people it was very difficult and very challenging, and you mentioned, and we would have heard this as well, the impact of loss of community and support suddenly taken away very suddenly was a, was a, was a huge difficulty for a lot of the groups there and, and, and how to respond to that and, and their sense of we want, we are whole reason for being is to help and now we, we can't help the way we normally helped. What do you see as some of those key challenges for, as, as we emerge for, for those organisations com, coming out in terms of how do they reconnect in the, or have they been reconnecting in, in your experience with their communities? Yeah, so some of the challenges that I, I, I you know, you see with uh, certainly up and down the country from Waterford to Donegal, really, I suppose, is a loss of confidence in some cases, almost at a personal level and at a community level, social level. Uh, a lot of the volunteers not wanting to return, just afraid of returning. Uh, that sort of sh- sense of shock. So I think that was one of the things. The second challenge that you know I've seen, I suppose, is just time. 
you know, already there would be a lot of work, but now there's actually more work. You know, a typical example, you could turn up to a community centre. It's now not just a question of opening the door. You have to open two doors, and you have to stand at the two doors, and, you know, just in a very simple way. Um, so, the, you know, there's that thing of, 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 of time. And the other challenge is making good decisions. You know, I mentioned the example about vaccination there. The, the, how do you deal with where there's, there's really no clear-cut answer what do you do? Uh, you know, I remember a situation during COVID whereby um, an individual was talking about, you know, do we answer the door to a homeless person who's going to come in and won't have heard the radios and the announcements and the, the signs saying, wash your hands and various things, and uh, perhaps, and, and, you know, and it was a question of making a decision. Do you not open the door and risk that person committing suicide? Or do you open the door and risk, risk the chance of getting COVID? These are impossible decisions. And very often, I, I would have said to community groups in these contexts, you need to get a group of you together, look at the risk of this one way or the other. There's no right decision here. Uh, there's no wrong decision, but you need to make a decision. And when you make it, don't look back. You know, do the best you can. And, you know, very often that was the answer. And. Uh, so I suppose th these are some of the big challenges. And on the other hand, though, there's this other thing of how they respond to these challenges um, and what are they doing and, and the innovative ways that, that communities have. So, for instance, early on, I remember myself um, just being amazed. This was one of these stages where we could actually visit a you know, places. I think there was, you know, the distancing was on and it was just one of these breaks in the cloud, if you like, we got in. And this community centre had this issue of whereby, you know, you have the dance group coming in at 12, or not, not maybe the dance, that might have been a bridge club, let's say, not, that, that might have been allowed. Um, they were coming in, say the bridge club coming in at 12, they were all going to leave, and some other group was going to come in at 3. And yet they had the responsibilities for cleaning up after them. What do they clean? And this community has come up with a, se a, a selection of red dots. So they put red dots on the tops of the taps, on the tops of and the handles of the doors. And then, you know, they put all these red dots so that the group coming in after the bridge club group knew exact, or no, the bridge club group itself knew exactly what to clean and knew exactly what to do. Uh, and so therefore there was this sort of innovation going on. Um, there was people not able to raise money. This was a, a regular thing. We can't do the church gate collection. What are we going to do? And some of the one group in Tipperary, there was something we were doing with uh, Tipperary Volunteer Centre. And uh, there was one of the options. We do this thing in Carmichael with groups. We talk about the different, 32 different ways of raising money online. This was part of the new options for funding. And... One of the ways was uh, that I've, we've seen nationally is uh, big organisations, maybe like Trocra, for example, would have been doing tap and donate, where you go and, the, you know, you're paying for the petrol, there's another little machine that looks like the machine you put your card in, but it's for Trocra, and you, you tap on it and you put in, uh, you know, five euros. It's easy, you tap and go, and away you go. And I was, we were talking about this in different community groups, and lo and behold, when I went back to Tipperary Volunteer Centre this year, and we were doing a programme with them, uh, a local parish group in Tipperary had started to do this and we're doing it with great success and I have been saying to people well you can't really do it at a local level it needs to be sort of bigger and national and and they made an eye out of me like no we're doing it and it works <laughs> so people are coming up with different innovative ways of 
of doing all sorts. I think there'll be a, because when we're challenged, sometimes it really brings out the best in us and, and also forces us to think differently and come up with solutions. So that, that they would, that, that's an example of, of a group saying, no, we, we can do it. If, Large organisations can do it, but there's no reason why a small community group can't ha have a similar type of solution adapted for our local community. Yeah. And I think seeing that happening is great. So there must have been sort of a, a great sense of, okay, these are communities that are getting on with it and responding as best they can to the, the, those challenges and turning the challenges into opportunities. In, in, into opportunities, because the other opportunity that is being talked about, you know, a lot of charities and not-for-profits say they, you know, there's a shortage of volunteers coming back, you know, for the reason we mentioned. Some people are just worried about coming back and, and opening up themselves, if you like, to danger. And yet, with all the online work going on, there's a place there for young people, you know, who are much more comfortable, by and large, with online working. And there's an opportunity there for charities to convert some of what they're doing into, can we do this online? And actually, by doing it online, we might attract a whole different cohort of people. And I often say to people that this new generation Z, I think they were born since 1995, I think, uh, I hope I've got that correct, um, they have a whole new sense of purpose, public, serving the public good. So there's actually an opportunity with a new generation of people to actually engage with the voluntary sector online. Uh, and, 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 but yet, you know, now people are just dying to meet face to face. That's the reality. They want to be in the room with each other and that's human nature and it's never going to change. We're seeing that, and, and today in, in Carmichael Centre, we have one of our volunteers back. Um, you know, had a hip done, and others, but was dying to get back into a, in, an in-person environment. You know, um, for various reasons. So we're beginning to see that happening slowly but surely. Uh -huh. People are looking at, well, can I get back into the uh, into the workplace? And we're we're like no different from anyone else. We're trying to figure out what's going to work best because there's going to be different ways of working and different, um, there will be people who will work from home quite a bit, some people working for, from, from the office environment or the work environment. So it, it is all changed times and I think it's that the question is for management and for boards is to be flexible um, and to help sort of, don't, don't, don't be afraid to try something different and, and I think we were forced into an experiment of working from home that we, if you'd asked us two years ago, we said that won't work. And that we've been proved wrong, and globally we've been proved wrong because it has worked in all, all streams in, in so many ways. It has, and uh, I suppose, you know, looking at that, uh, there are different tools now that are useful for people to do. That, that opening questionnaire almost when people arrive back in, that's a general set of questions about what, what is, how, how do you feel about working from home, how do you feel about coming in, how do you feel about situation that not everyone believes that they want to get vaccinated. Most people do, but some people don't. Uh, you know, all kinds of things. And if you like, that sense of respecting people's beliefs and at the same time minding people's health. Uh, and so I sense that there's tools like that, little questionnaire spoke. You know, there's these things like a draft vaccination policy we can talk about. Uh, and, and it doesn't mean promoting vaccination, but it means having, working with with what happens when people do and don't vaccinate, or working from home, the right to disconnect. You know, when we do work from home, and I get an email at nine o'clock at, at night, do I have something that comes in with that email from the sender saying, just because I send it at nine o'clock at night, doesn't mean I'm expecting you to answer it at nine o'clock at night. And so therefore, there's new mores, there's new, if you like, norms that we need to sort of adopt, 
that makes these new ways possible for people. You know, and that's where we're adapting to reopening after COVID in 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 twenty twenty one. You know, these these more complex changes to our lifestyle. I want to move on now a little bit to another another area that you're, you're, we've keeping you quite busy in um, in Carmichael, and it's a trend we've been seeing growing quite a bit. And I know it's largely been driven in part by the Charities Governance Code, but it is where boards are looking at saying, well, we we need to step back from time to time and see how we as a board are performing. You've been involved in a number of board evaluation reviews. Mm-hmm. What sort of insights or what sort of things have you seen emerging, sort of the trends so far in terms of d- doing a number of these? Yeah, very varied. I must say, for a smaller board, and as it can be sometimes a contrast between the smaller organisations and the bigger ones, so in the smaller organisations, even though we might be looking you know, at things like uh, the role of the board, all of those things, what can often come up very quickly is somebody on the board is misbehaving and is just causing an enormous difficulty, surprising the number of boards who find themselves in that position, even long-established ones, or maybe especially long-established ones. And, you know, you end up sometimes... One of the things we look at when we, when we see that is, 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 is looking at uh, a values and behaviour policy with the board that, that sort of comes up in the middle of that. You know, a value of respect. Well, what does respect mean on the board? It means actually listening to the person who's a new suggestion without saying, Ara, look, we tried that years ago and it didn't work, as the stock answer to everything that comes up from you. So for smaller boards, just that sometimes that sense of, of, of just how do we work better as a team and not working effectively as a team and leaving it to a few people, that would be one of the things. For the larger ones, this difference between strategy and operations, that boards had found themselves getting too engaged in the practical day-to-day of things without leaving that to the staff. And the board evaluation often come up with the you know, biggest findings being, look, here's what you as a board need to do if you want to have an oversight of this organisation. You know, It's annual plan, looking at the key risks, looking at its key finances, the key, th- the key performances that this, this needs, the key policies it needs, a sort of a quarterly or a monthly report of, of, of activities, you know, supporting the staff without getting into the nitty-gritty all the time. And, and so therefore that difference in operations and I feel like the mutual respect between those who operate the organisation and those who are on the board and, and having those distinctions. And very often also, whether it is a small organisation or a larger one, almost clearing up the agenda that they would have at meetings, having them a clear pathway to say, actually, you know, there are stock things that should be on agenda, like minutes and matters arising and report and etc., etc. But for each, each organisation is different, so tailor making their own agenda to say, okay, typically this might be the agenda you're working with, and this is the amount of time you should be spending on it. And if you're spending more than that, there's something wrong, there's something, you need a subcommittee dealing with that to bring it back. You know, so those streamlining. Another thing I found is ethos, that organisations had been doing very good at appointing the skilled accountant, the skilled lawyer, the skilled business person, whatever, onto the board to bring this experience. And yet, they'd forgotten what it was they were set up to do in the first place, that ethos, the why. And we often bring the organisations back, but why did you start in the first place? And can we, can we get back to that why? Can we get back to the purpose for which you set up the organisation? And that is often, ironically enough, a key to getting new board members. 
um, you know, going back to the purpose, reinventing that purpose, and enthusing a new generation of people to come back and say, yeah, we need to reinvent this. Um, I remember my experience back at the airport, Ireland West Airport, Knock, and um, in a sense when I joined it, it was working on a two-day week, it had, it had lost its way in some way, and the key was getting it back to its its original purpose, its that original mission to, to, to really grow and be an international airport and be, and be up there and be excellent. And it did grow. And I remember a worker once saying, he was asked jokingly, it's Friday, uh, isn't it great? We can go home. And he says, I don't mind Fridays. I just love coming in on Mondays here. Because we had developed, a, 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 got back to the ethos, got back to the state of mind about a place. And for often boards who are now struggling with COVID or governance or uh, funding, uh, getting back to the ethos is very important. I totally agree. It is. What is your core purpose for being? And, and, and just spending a bit of time on a regular basis to, to try and tease that out, you know, because sometimes we can very, very get lost in the, the busyness of doing the, the work of the organisation that we forget, well, what's this all about? Why are we here? And from your, from your own experience of, of, of being on boards, working to boards, and, and being very involved in, in the community and voluntary sector and the charity sector, if somebody's thinking about going onto a board, what, what, what sort of advice would you give them, you know, if they're, they're mulling it over and saying, I'm thinking I might, or I've been approached, and I'm not quite sure whether I should go on a board of a charity or a non-profit, what, what would you say? Good question, and I mean, I would say maybe two or three things. Um, one is going back to that point we just made about the, the belief. You know, maybe someone comes in and say, look, we know you're good at actually counting the money and uh, would you ever come on and help us? Maybe not sufficient reason because when go the going gets tough, that's not sufficient reason to keep you on that board. You know, you want to believe in what the organization is. Is it a match for your own belief? Is this something you want, would like to do yourself if the organization wasn't doing it? So I think to check in with yourself first on do I believe it? And vice versa, if we're looking for board members, look for people who believe in what you believe in. Uh, not people who do what you do. You know, they, they believe what you believe in. It's a bigger thing. The other thing is maybe make sure the board is giving you sufficient information before you join. You know, I've had this myself, people saying, would you mind coming on our board? Have a look at our website. No way. You know, unless an organisation is saying, here's our minister of our previous three meetings. Here's our chairperson. He or she would like to meet you. Here's our constitution. Here's our plan. You know, here's the priorities for the next year. Here's what we actually want, would like you to do, and here's what the rest of us can do. You know, if I'm hearing that from a board, however small, um, those are not difficult things to know. And, 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 and so therefore I'd like an, an information pack, for want of a better word, or somebody who will sit down with me and, and, and give me the time to, to look at these things. And then to tell me how much time is going to mean, you know, and coming in, okay, is it, they usually say, you know, we only meet 10 times a year. That's the biggest lie I've ever heard. <laughs> yes, they meet 10 times a year, and then there is other 10 times 10 things to do after those meetings. So, you know, just to be realistic about the time involved, and otherwise you're, you're just raising expectations on the point of view of the board and coming on and realising, look, I haven't got the time for this. And I, I, I keep trying to emphasise when I'm talking to board, they do have to sell themselves to try and attract board members. You know, it isn't sort of they'll come because we've asked. As you said, you just need to look at it as if you were recruiting a staff member. Think of the time and effort you'd go to try and do 
do, put your best foot forward, be clear so that you try and get the best candidate for the, the job and that you're successful. It's the same with board. You do have to take that little bit of effort and say, come back as even just what, who we are and what we're about and why it's important in our communities or in the people that we support and then what kind of role you're looking at. I would fully, fully agree with you. Um, we're just coming up to a sort of a time, and, and here's a question that I, I, I put to all, all my guests, and it's just a, a general one sort of to wrap up the sort of the, the chat is, you know, what would be your top three wishes for the, for the sector over the coming years? What would you like to see if we were having this conversation in three years' time that things will be different or have changed? Yeah. Well, certainly as someone coming from a background of uh, regional advocacy and community advocacy, all my life, I would love to see the voluntary sector have a much bigger role in influencing government policy. Um, you know, when society has been breaking down, the voluntary sector has been the only sector really holding it up. Uh, you know, together with the caring sector, which also is primarily run by the voluntary sector in many ways. So, you know, when a bank leaves a village, the credit union is there. You know, when when the commercial cafe is gone and there's no cafe left, the community cafe is there. When people have the money to buy something, the charity shop is there. It's holding up every aspect of life. So the voluntary sector deserves to be far more at the top table. And I've seen this during COVID, that the guidance hasn't been clear enough for the voluntary sector. It's almost as if it's too big to sort of categorize in one, and it is. But nonetheless, uh, it, it needs to be more at the top table, I think. And certainly, one particular area that I come across, we come across a lot in Carmichael, I think, as well, is uh, people are providing core services, like maybe Section 39, which means you know regular medical budget or health budget support for, for activities over years, like in, as they call Section 39 organisations. I would love to see the funders of those organisations give much more support to the boards that, in my experience, I've seen volunteers volunteering for 30 years and just weighed down by the, the, the level of bureaucracy without the support behind it for what our voluntary boards do in amazing jobs of care. The third wish is young people, that we're able to reach out more to get a younger generation engaged with the voluntary sector, and they are, but more, uh, to bring that, you know, very often I've seen in our sessions in Carmichael groups, a young person light the whole room, you know, when they come in, into Zoom or whatever, just with their enthusiasm and their ideas, and it's, it's just more of that. It's fantastic, Dean. Thank you so much. It's been great yeah. having this chat. Thank you very much. It's a, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you for listening to our latest Carmichael Governance Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, it would be of great benefit to us if you could give it a rating, as that helps to create greater awareness of these podcasts. So until the next time, Slán Gofol. Go